Well, welcome home, Stone Creek. There may not be two more beautiful words in the English language today, am I right? Even for you guys online, isn't isn't there something just gratifying and unifying about knowing that we're back in the building, back to some sense of normalcy, back to some stability? There is just something good about being back, kind of getting back to the way things were as best we can. We are so excited to be able to launch today. And for those of you online, we're so glad you're watching us today. Maybe you're at the beach because you're on fall break. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're uh, at the couch. Maybe, maybe, maybe you got this morning and had no clean clothes. You're like, I'll just watch it on, on, online. And so we're so glad. And one of the w- reasons that we've waited to go back live is so we could have a quality, meaningful, powerful online experience. So we're so glad that you're joining us today. You know, it's been a minute since we've been together, hadn't it? It's been a long time. As a matter of fact, I wrote it down. It's been seven months, 28 weeks, 196 days. But who's counting, right? Who's counting? And I just want to take a minute just to acknowledge our staff team. Could we just give it up for our Stone Creek staff? They've done an amazing job over the last seven months and continue in a time that's so uncertain, so unexpected. We have no idea, you know, what to do and nobody's ever navigated this. And they have done nothing but pray and sweat and bleed for this place and for you guys and for those of you joining us online. They have reached out. They have called you. They have prayed over the phone for you. They have tried to come up with new ways to connect and new ways to continue to make this home. And so I am so, so proud of our staff team. You know, I have, I have a, 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 a sheet here that we use called Planning Center. And this is, you know, our, our order of service. And this is actually from the last time that we met together live. And it was on March the 8th. And as I'm looking at it, I'm noticing that, that, that Joey actually preached that day. And then everything went to hell in a handbasket. So I don't know if there's a connection there. But uh, man, let me just say this. In 14 days, I believe it's 336 hours, these guys are going to be launching Elevate City Church. And let, yeah. And I can't begin to describe for you their hard work, their over and above effort. And I'm just expecting of what God's going to do in a season where nobody really knows how to do this. We're just trusting God for us to be able to continue to push the kingdom forward and to stay unified in our vision and our mission. Some of you may need to go help them. Some of them, you may need to go to Sandy Springs and help them launch. And we would love for you to be able to do that. But they have really, they're leaving it all on the field. And that's what young people can do, right, old people? Uh, So uh, just so proud of these guys, just just our our staff family today. You know, as I talk to people and maybe I run into them at the Avalon or maybe downtown, one of the phrases I hear all the time is, hey, when are we going to get back? When are we going to get back? And, And my thought is always back to what? Like, what do, we get, what, what, do you, what do you want to get back to? Is it to get back in the building? Is it to get back to a routine? But I think what people are asking is like, when are we going to get back home? When are we going to get back home? Because home is so important. Home is what provides an anchor for our lives. Home is the place that college students know they can come back to when things get a little dicey and grades get a little bad and people desert them. You know, home is this place of stability. Home is this place of familiarity. But home, home is more than a place, isn't it? Home, home is a state of mind. Home, home is a state of mind. 
Hey, online, won't you write in the chat right now, what is your favorite thing about your home right now where you are? Like, just what's your favorite thing? Just drop that in the chat, man. The, the thing about home, it's kind of like Dorothy said, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. You know, home is where the heart is. A man's home is his. A man's home is his. All right. Like, we, we get homesick when we're not at home. You remember the feeling of home? Like one of the feelings of home that I can always remember is when my kids were smaller and I would come home from a day of work and maybe there have been some difficult decisions or maybe I was just tired, maybe it had been chaos and they come home and they're like, and I come home and they come in the door and they're like, daddy's home and they're grabbing me on the legs and it seems like in that moment all the cares of this world just melt away. Home is just this great unifying factor in our lives and Stone Creek is home for so many people. Amen? Amen? Let's, let's talk back. Amen? Drop an amen in the chat there online. Listen, home is, Stone Creek is home for so many people. Like, so many of you found Christ here, right? So many of you have had your marriages rescued here. So many of you have found purpose here. So many of you have found meaning to your life. You see the bigger picture. You look at how you live differently. So many of you have dropped your kids off, and they've come to know Jesus here. Hey, by the way, wouldn't it great to not have to watch church with your kids today. Come on. Right. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Come on. Let's be honest. Um, but so many of you, maybe your students have come here and they've got grounded, become grounded in their faith so that when they go to college, they'll be able to continue to maintain that and be strong. Some of your students have been called into full-time ministry here. And this place has meant so much to so many people. And listen, here's the reality about church. The church is a home because the church gives an invitation to come home. Man, church is a home because the invitation of the church is to come home. It's as if God, through his people, through his church, is standing with arms open wide and saying, come on, children, let's come home. Let's come home. We come home to God because God is the one who created us. He's calling us home to purpose. He's calling us home to value. And we always want to be a church that has this vision for what it looks like to invite people to come home. To invite people to come home. And here's the thing about this home. It's a home for everybody, isn't it? Right? Some of you are here at home and you didn't think you had a home. Some of you, the first time you walked in here, you thought, this is home. And that's why you're still here. Man, man, the invitation is for all people, no matter, your, no matter your mistakes, no matter your sin, no matter your past, no matter your regrets, no matter your shame, that it's a place for you to come home. And today I just want to unpack one of the great passages in the Bible about what it means for the church to be home. But as I do that, let, let, me just, let me just pray for our time together and I'll keep going. God, we're just grateful to be home today. And God, we know that Stone Creek is more than a place, God. It's, it's a people, Lord. It's a mission. It's a vision that you've given us. And God, that we would all just have this common vision to be unified around the name of Jesus this morning. And God, I pray that today as we open your word and we teach, God, that you would, man, you'd call some people home today. You would just open your arms and just welcome them home into the spiritual family that you've created for them, into the kingdom that you've created for them. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. 
We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to that. Maybe you have a, on your phone or maybe, um, maybe you have a tablet or something. Just go ahead and grab that. We want to be able to look, at, look through it together. We believe that when we open the Bible, God's words, God opens, uh, God opens his mouth to us. And so we want to be sure that we do that. And this is what's going to shape us and form us. Now, real quick, Paul has written, the reason it's called Ephesians is because Paul has written a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. Now, Paul started this church, um, and Paul now finds himself in prison. So Paul writes this letter the same way that we would write an email or a text message or DM somebody on social media. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus just to give them some instruction. And this particular letter is going to be read in a multiple churches. And so Paul starts out by talking about the, answering one of the big questions of life. And the big question that we all have is, what's my purpose? And so Paul starts out by answering it. And if you look in verse 8, here's what Paul says. Paul says, it's for by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So what he's saying is that God has rescued us, not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on the cross. By grace you have been saved. Then he goes on to say, it's not a result of works so that no one can boast. We are his workmanship. Okay, so, so here's what workmanship means. Workmanship means a piece of art. God has uniquely, individually created each one of us as a workmanship, as a piece of art, as, as something with a purpose. And he goes on to say what that purpose is. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so what we see is Paul answers this big question we all have individually. What's my purpose? Now, now everybody has this question. We, we all go through life at some point. We're like, hey, why am I here? What should I be doing? I feel unfulfilled. You hit a midlife cry. Like, why am I here? And the reason why you ask that question is because God has planted it deeply in your soul. To, you are created for works that he has for you to do. We all are created for purpose. But then Paul is going to do something very critical. He's going to move from talking about our individual purpose and our individual Value, And he's going to be sure that we understand the bigger picture. And the bigger picture that Paul wants to point out for us is that we're connected to other people. And Paul wants to really be sure that we understand that, that life's not just about our purpose, but it's about his purpose. And that we have to do that together. And, 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 and he, he wants us to understand this, this unity that we need to have, that we need to be unified in, in this purpose that God has for us. Now, 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 what God knows is that money can't buy unity, can it? Politics can't bring us unity, can it? Somebody drop amen in the chat right there because you know that's true, right? The news cycle can't bring unity. Education can't bring unity. So what's, what's God going to do? Like how is God going to provide unity for, for all people? Well, like, what's the vehicle that he needs to create? And God knows that he has this power that defied death. And if people are unified behind that, it's unstoppable that they always win. What is God's plan? What does God create? God, in his infinite wisdom, created the church. Come on. God created the church. And Paul is going to point out, what does that church look like? What's the metaphor that he wants to use? And Paul's going to use the metaphor of a household, of a home for the church. So watch what happens down in verse 17. 
In verse 17, Paul says this, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 22. It says, He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Did we catch that? Who's the cornerstone? Somebody write Jesus in the chat. Who's the cornerstone? Jesus is the cornerstone. Let's don't miss that. And he goes on to say, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul starts out by using this word for peace. In verse 17, you'll notice it says, he came to preach peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, now, now peace, this, this idea of peace is sometimes we think of just absence of conflict. Like if I can, you know, for some of you in your home, if you can just walk in and nobody's mad at each other, like, hey, we got peace. You know, but, but the reality is Paul's talking about more than absence of conflict. He's talking about unity here. He's talking about being unified here. He's talking about being whole here. He's talking about being complete here. He's talking about being connected with other people here. This is the type of peace that Paul is talking about. He wants to be sure that we, it is the, it is the climate of the church. And here's the definition of, of unity. I'm for us before I am for me. I'm for us before I am for me. Like, doesn't this play out in your family? Like, doesn't it play out with when you come home? If I'm for us as a family, it works a lot better if I'm just for me and a family. And the same is true in a church. I'm for us before I am for me. Man, there is so much division in the world. Do I even need to say that out loud? Somebody should say amen right there. Right? Like, there's so much division. Just think of all the things that we're divided over right now. Whether it's the White House or whether it's, you know, the Capitol, whether it's um, masks or no masks, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's schools to open or close, whether it's restaurants, whether it's social distancing, we have so much division. And the reason why is because we're looking to the wrong place for peace. Man, man, what Paul is saying is that, that Jesus came to bring peace and he is the cornerstone. He is the way. And then when we're reconciled to God, what happens is that filters into so all these other people and all these other organizations and it begins to filter its way down. And we, we can have peace if we can find unity. Now, now, Paul points out these two groups of people uh, that he's trying to unify. He believes that should be unified. He talks about those who are near and those who are far. Okay? So, so let's unpack this a little bit. Now, in Paul's context, those who were near would have been Jewish people. Because what Paul would have done, Paul obviously was a Jew. The Jews were the people who were chosen by God to bring the message of his love to the world. And so what happens is through the Jews, Jesus is born, Jesus comes, and through them, we see that we are reconciled to God. So when Paul goes to Ephesus to start a church, where does he start? Paul starts with the Jews. It's as if the Jews actually have a head start on a relationship with God to, to understand God. Now, head starts are good, am I right? Like, like head starts, I always want a head start. I don't think it's cheating. I think it's competitive, right? Man, I love a head start. And some of you would have been classified as near when it comes to relationship with God. Some of you would have had a head start. Like some of you, I mean, your mom, your parents took you to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Anybody do that? Right? A lot of people. Man, anybody online? Like what was your favorite thing about going to church when you were growing up? My favorite thing was those shoes that hurt my feet so bad because they were dress shoes. Hated it. 
but right, I mean, we, we had, some of you had a head start. You went to youth group. You had small group leaders who loved you. You had a Bible. You were dedicated at church. You got baptized early. You went to a Christian college maybe. I mean, you had this head start. Those are people who were near. And for Paul, that would have started out with the Jews. But for us, it's, that's, our, that's our context. Now, now, here's the thing about people who were near. Now, for Jews, here's what Jews began to focus on. Rather than focusing on God's love for the world, what they began to focus on was, hey, we need to all dress the same. We need to all eat the same kind of food. We need to wash our hands the same. We need to, we need to ha- go to the same places. We need to be in business together. What they focused on was uniformity, not unity. They focused on uniformity. Hey, let's all look the same, not on unity. Let's all have the same heartbeat. Hey, and if we're honest, sometimes we can get caught in that trap. Hey, we, we can get caught in the trap of, hey, look like me. Do the things I do. Go the places I go. Use the words that I use. And have you noticed that Have you noticed that, that doesn't always work, right? We, we sometimes focus too much on uniformity. Now, 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 he also has these people who were far from God. Now, the people who were far would have been Gentiles. Let me hear you say Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, when you read that in the Bible, that is just anybody who is not a Jew. They were not in the club. They were not on the team, right? Anybody who was not a Jew, and actually it was a derogatory term. But Gentiles are those who didn't have a head start. Gentiles are people who didn't grow up going to synagogue. Gentiles are people whose parents didn't take them to church. They didn't own a Bible. They didn't have anybody to call when things went south. Man, they didn't go to youth group. Like, these are people who are far. And some of you, man, some of you came to Christ from being far. How many people were far when you came to Christ? Strung out? worked out, right? I mean, just far from God, but, but then you came home, you came near. Now, Paul outlines uh, five characteristics of people who were far. They were strangers. They were alienated from God. He talks about the fact that they were um, aliens. He also talks about they were estranged. He says they were without God and without hope. Like, that's devastating, so you have these two groups of people near and far, and Jesus and, and Paul says that they should have peace. And, and, and what we have to be careful of is, is that in our home, we don't focus on uniformity. We focus on unity. Now let me give you an example of this from Christian history. When Christian missionaries would go to Africa, and they would go to the tribes and the villages in remote places, and one of the first things they would focus on is how the people of Africa dressed and the things that they ate. And so there was a man who flew into Africa, and he was going to go see one of these villages that a church had been started, and people had started to come to Christ. And so as he's driving there, there's a man, he asked his driver, he said, are you a Christian? And the man said, no, I, but I know who the Christians are because they wear pants. And he said, you know, in our, where I'm from, in our tribe, we, we all wear robes. And we grew up wearing robes, but the Christian thought that robes were too feminine, so we call them the church of the pants. That's funny. You should laugh right there. Hey, we're never going to be the church of the pants. We'll, have ch- we'll, we'll be with pants, don't get me wrong, but we're not going to ever be the church of the pants where everybody has to dress the same, think the same, act the same, like the same music. Because when we focus on uniformity, what happens is we miss unity. We miss unity. Here's what uniformity says this. It says look like us. Unity says love like us. Uniformity says, hey, look like us, but unity says, love like us. Like, I just think back to my family. Some of you are parents. Any of you with multiple kids, your children are different? Anybody? Right? 
right? Hey, in the chat, write down your favorite kid's name right now. Just kidding, don't write that down. That'd be a downer. But think about it. So I have four kids, and they're all different. Uh, different genders. I have one beautiful daughter, and then I got three ornery sons, right? And, um, and they have different likes and dislikes. You know, three of them have dogs. One of them doesn't. Some of them have tattoos. Some don't. Some went to college. Some didn't. Some like sports. Some like video games. Man, they are different. And here, here's what happens to parents. If we're not careful, we'll want them all to act the same, look the same, man, do the same thing, be in the same sports, be in the same activities. And they'll end up doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And the same is true in the church. And we need to focus on people moving into unity, moving in to the call of God in their life, moving in to be for other people, helping them to flourish and to fly. I mean, one of my greatest joys in life is to see um, our staff team launch Elevate City, just to see them flourish and fly and go and be who God created them to be and reach people and change lives. And that's, how, that's the things that we should get excited about. A couple of quotes on unity uh, versus uniformity. Uniformity says you should act more like your brother. Anybody's parents say that to them? You should act more like your brother. Mine didn't because I didn't have a brother. But unity says we love you because of you. Uniformity says let's, play, let's all play the quiet game. Unity says I, I want to hear you. Uniformity says your grades aren't good enough. Unity asks, what are you good at? Uniformity says, here's where you messed up. Unity says, let's work on this together. Uniformity says, do as I say, not as I do. Anybody try that? Unity extends grace when we don't measure up. Uniformity says, listen to the music that I like. Unity says, put others first. Uniformity makes little things into big things. Unity keeps the main thing the main thing. Uniformity says, follow the rules. But unity says, follow Jesus. Hey, let's don't miss the difference between unity and uniformity. Man, one of the things I love about Stone Creek, man, is so many different people. What I have missed in the last seven months, uh, 28 weeks, 196 days, is just seeing the wide variety of people that this church has changed. All backgrounds, all races, all social classes. Man, man, to see people who used to be near and have come here and gotten plugged in, but people who were far, people who thought they were near and realized they were far, to see marriages restored. Man, I love to see the people who come. We have people who struggle with alcoholism or a heroin addiction, people who struggle with pornography addiction, and to have them freed and released. People who didn't believe in their marriage going forward but came here and were rescued. Man, this is what I love about Stone Creek is the variety of people that God has brought here as part of this family, as part of this home. Now, unity is forged in the crucible of sacrifice, and it's purchased with the blood of Jesus. Man, it's expensive. And how can we do anything to, to take away from the unity that God wants with his people? Now, let me, make, let me be, be clear on one thing. I re, sometimes when you, when you think of unity, what you think of is, man, just whatever, whatever they say goes, whatever they want to do, we're going to do that. That there really are no standards. And there could be nothing further from the truth. The price for unity was too high. 
And clearly the price that Jesus paid was for us to step into following him. And it doesn't mean we get to just behave as we want to. What it means is there's a bigger cause and a bigger picture. And I'm always going to follow Jesus in that moment. Man, we got to always remember that unity was expensive. It was bought with a price. You know, we're surrounded by a generation of prodigals that have wandered so far from home. They don't know the way back. And unity would say that we get to show them. Unity would say that we get to be the ones to point the way home. Now, in the next verse, in verse 18, Paul writes this. Um, He says, for through him, meaning through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, 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 this is really critical. If you don't get anything else in today's talk, man, you need to get this. We need to be sure we understand this. He uses the word what? What's the word he uses at the end of 18? He uses the word Father. He uses the word Father. Now, Jesus recast our relationship with God as a relationship of a child with a good dad. Like, how many of you guys had good dads out there? Like, like, like some of you had some great dads. Not, not everybody has that. Some of you who didn't have a great dad, hey, if you're a kid in here, you better raise your hand right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Got two hands in the air. Um, you're getting donuts for lunch. I'm just saying. Um, Man, and some of us didn't have a good dad, so sometimes, sometimes when we talk about God being a dad, it can kind of mess us up a little bit. But we, we just need to recognize that there's a definition of a good dad in the Bible, and that's the one we need to follow. And God is a good dad, and Jesus recasts our relationship with God as a relationship of a child with a good dad. And I just, he, he, when, he, when he prayed, he said, my father in heaven, right? That's who I'm going to pray to. He said when he went back into heaven, he went back to his father. And when you have a good dad, what kind of language is that? That's family language. And when you have a good dad, you have stability. You have a place to return. You have someone to call for advice. You have some counsel. You have someone who will pick you up when you need it. You have someone who will kick you in the pants when you need it. You have someone who's in your corner. That's what a good dad does. And we cannot miss this because our identity is tied to this, to God being our father in this. And and I think about sometimes maybe when, when I knew that I'd done something wrong, how I didn't want to go home. How I wasn't sure what I was going to be met with. I wasn't sure exactly what was going to be on the other side of the door. But listen, what would, what would, how many people, if they understood that God was a good dad, would come home? How many people, how many of your friends, if they understood that God wasn't mad at them, that God wasn't angry with them, that God loved them, that God had good for them, how many people, if they understood that God was a good dad, they would come home. We all have access to the same father. And because we have the same dad, what does that mean? We're in the same family. We're in the same family. He goes on in verse 19. Paul says this. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Same household. You have the same last name if we were doing that. We'd all have the same last name for those of us who follow Jesus. You know, as I was talking about my kids, one of the things that we had in common is that whenever they would leave the house, I would always remind them, hey, remember, your last name is Gibbs. And that should mean something. It means I'll come and looking for you. <laughs> it means that there's a standard. There's a, way we, it's a way that, there's a way that we handle ourselves. It means that we serve others. It means that we, you know, take care and protect people who are weak. There's some things that they know that's what that meant. And your last name is Gibbs. And we're in the same household. 
And that should mean some things to us, that we're in the same family. And and our relationships at church should be as important as our family relationships. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Because this is, this, is, this is different for so many people. Man, we're in the same spiritual family. We all have access to the same Father who is God, which means that, that our relationships in our spiritual family should be as important as relationships to our nuclear family, our, our, our bloodline family. Jesus said it this way. He said, who is my mother, father, and brothers? He says, if th- those who do the, my will. He, he even recast his family in terms of his spiritual family. Now, one of the things that a spiritual family needs to do is we need to gather together. Did you know this? The Bible says this, do not forsake assembling together as you should. But again, we're talking about unity, not uniformity, so it doesn't always look the same for everybody. And so let me just kind of paint the picture of what this should look like. For our church, we should not forsake. It's really important that we are with people face-to-face, that we're able to lean into each other, we're able to challenge each other, we're able to take care of each other, lift each other up, laugh with each other. And and some people are comfortable coming into a large group gathering. Some people are not. So so if you're online today and you're online for an intentional reason, we're like, hey, I just don't know if I'm ready to go back, that is not a problem. But what we do expect and what I do think is going to be good for you and one thing that's going to bring you life is for you to be around other people, maybe in a smaller group setting. Maybe it's going to be in one of our medium-sized gatherings, but we can't forsake the assembling together. I can't even begin to tell you how good it's been to be in this room this morning. Come on. Anybody want to? And so for you, maybe that's not the play for you, but, but you need to be with some people. It's what's good for your soul. You're wired that way. You can't escape it. God has created us as family. And you're, still, you're, you're, you're part of the Stone Creek family, and you need to be assembling together, engaging with people. We can't forsake that because we're family. You know, another thing that family does is they provide for each other, like when there's a gap. So we need to continue to be generous. Can I just say thanks for your generosity the last seven months? What in the world? And online, man, we have just seen people give. And the reason why we can launch a campus to reach prodigals of the millennium generation is because of your generosity. Man, we know. Yeah, come on. Yeah, we should clap right there. Man, we are so excited about that. But also all the other steps that we've been able to take as Ryan was talking about. So I would just encourage you to be faithful, to look at ways you can be generous. Um, obviously, online, we're not going to pass the basket. How many of you grew up in a church and not passing a basket or bucket for an offering would have been unheard of, right? Come on, like, like we'll have a prayer meeting and pass the basket. We'll have a small group meeting and pass it, you know what I mean? And so, listen, but, but God's been so faithful to us. So you need to be engaged with people. You need to be generous. And listen, you need to serve somewhere. You need to serve somebody somehow, somewhere. You need to take care of somebody somewhere, somehow. And maybe it's here volunteering or maybe it's a family that you know needs help, but you need to serve. You're wired to serve in your spiritual family. And those are the three things that we're going to need for us to be able to continue to meet the needs of our community. Man, God meets us tangibly with God's people. God meets us tangibly in the midst of God's people. Now, the reason why this can happen is because Jesus is the cornerstone. I just want you to think back in history of all the organizations that have faltered. But the church has stood for 2,000 years. Like, how is that possible? How is it that people who, who are so different, 
how is it that people from different backgrounds, with different families, from different geographic regions, how is it that they just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger? How is it that Nero couldn't squash the Christians even by lining the streets with their burning bodies? How is it that throughout history, as through every turn, every century, when the Christian religion was had been tried to stamp out and laws were passed against them and they were muffled and they couldn't do this. How is it that they still stand? How is it that we're so resilient? Man, it's not our intelligence. Man, it's not our passion. It is Jesus, the cornerstone. In that culture, the cornerstone would have been laid and it would have been, uh, you know, several tons in weight and everything was tied to it. The rest of the house was tied to it. The doors were tied to it. The windows were tied to it. The walls were tied to it. The roof was tied to it because it would not move. And that's what a home does. And our cornerstone at Stone Creek Church is Jesus. And we exist to elevate the name of Jesus. If you thought that changed in the last seven months, can we be clear? Man, we know the reason that we are where we are through this is the name of Jesus. We know the only one worth worshiping is the name of Jesus. He is the cornerstone. He's the one who will never move. He'll never leave you or forsake you. The reason why we do what we do and the reason why we will keep on doing what we do is for the name of Jesus. There's too many prodigals there. There's too many people who don't have a home. There's too many people who are homeless. And we need to be the ones to welcome them home. Hey, I want to take a few minutes just to preach the gospel real quick. Would you let me do that? Come on, online, can I do that? Somebody drop some hand claps in the chat right there. I just want to tell you, there is a God who is your dad, and he is good. He's so good. And he has good things for you. The problem that we have is sin. And we want to do things our own way. We all know this. We've all tried to go our own way. We've all tried to leave home. We've all left home. And Jesus comes to say, I got you. I came to bring you peace. I'm going to reconcile you back home. And I'm going to die for you so that your sins can be paid for and you don't have to pay the penalty. And Jesus comes back and he dies for our sins. Man, and then our response is to surrender our lives to him. Man, there's nothing that's off limits to him. Like, I don't know what you've learned through the pandemic through being away. I don't know what God's taught you. I don't know what hardship you've been through. But listen, one thing you can learn is that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. When my son John was nine, he was in a, uh, he was in a very serious accident. And John, it was one of those accidents where the doctors weren't sure if he was going to make it or not. John spent months in rehab with the, with the great staff, the heroes down at Children's Hospital of Scottish Rite. And I can remember going, you know, just spending week after week there, and he couldn't come home because he'd had a brain injury and he had a feeding tube, and they, he wasn't allowed to come home until we could get some of those issues worked out. And I can remember being there on a Sunday, and um, I guess somebody else preached for me, but uh, I was with him on a Sunday stand, and Sundays in the hospital are terrible. Did you know that? Like, hospitals are hard. Sundays are brutal. There's nobody there. There's no treatment happening. It's more depressing than normal. And so we had done everything we needed to do that day. I'd taken him outside, and we found ourselves in the chapel on a Sunday afternoon. 
And John began to cry. And he said, Daddy, I just want to go home. Today's the day for you to come home. Today's the day where you get to go home. Let's pray together. So let's just in a spirit of prayer, wherever you are, just head bowed, eyes closed, just with your heart still, focused on the goodness of God. Man, today's the day I want to call you to come home. I believe that's what God has for you today. God wants you to come home. For some of you, you left home. You're wandering. Man, you're, you're, you're living life on your own terms, and it's not working. And you've stumbled on to this service today somehow. Either you stumbled into this room or you stumbled online. And God is, wants to use the Stone Creek family to call you home today. For some of you, you never made that decision to go home. You don't know what it looks like to go home. You don't know what it feels like to be at home. But today's the day for you to come home. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer today. It's just a commitment of your heart to God. And I just ask you to repeat after me. If your desire is to come home, just say, Dear God, I'm tired of being homeless. I'm tired of being cold and hungry and scared. I want to come home. And I trust Jesus as my cornerstone who paid the price for me to come home. You know, the Bible says that if you prayed that, that in that moment, God becomes your father. God becomes your dad. And you have a new family. You become part of the family of God. And so wherever you are today, in this room or online, I'm, I'm going to give you this opportunity just to mark this moment today. Because coming home is something you never want to forget. I'm going to give you an opportunity to mark the moment today, something that we haven't been able to do in seven months in this room. So I'm going to count to three, and if your desire today is to come home, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just as a, a silent mark of your commitment to God, and we're not going to wait. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, if that's your desire to come home. Let's go all over the room. Online, raise your hand if this is your desire today and you want to come home. Let's just raise your hand today. This is your commitment to follow Jesus as your cornerstone. We're so excited. Thanks so much for that. Hey, God, we know that there's more to our lives than what we're experiencing. And God, we just ask for that. And God, I pray for our church to be unified under the banner of Jesus as we reach people and talk to them about the goodness of God. Lord, as we proclaim the gospel from the mountaintops and the rooftops, God, that you would just help us to stay faithful to the mission. And God, we would just continue to see people come home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.